0: a world-renowned sports physician treating America's foremost Olympic women gymnasts, Larry Nasser was sentenced to 175 years in prison for sexually abusing more than 150 women over two decades. Nasser more than deserved his sentence. Why? Because he abused the power of his status as a physician to harm innocent people who trusted him. As heinous as Nasser's crimes are, could similar crimes of a religious nature be happening today? Is it possible that religious authorities today could abuse their power and status as pastor, seminary professor, or celebrity to spiritually harm those who trust them? And how do you know if the religious authority you trust is abusing you? Find out today as Nathan Norman, Kent Edwards, and Vicki Hitskis look at how Jesus responded to the spiritual abusers of his day. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Doctor Kent Edwards, Vicky Hitzkiss and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the Gospel of Mark. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Mark chapter twelve, verses thirteen to forty-four, as we join their discussion. Vicky, Nathan, I want to ask you a couple of questions.
1: First, have you had spiritual leaders who have genuinely built into your life in Christ? And secondly, do you know of spiritual leaders? Who have harmed their followers?
2: Well, for the first one, yeah, I've had some wonderful spiritual leaders who have built into my life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: How about you, Nathan? Obviously, yeah. you must have, you wouldn't be here.
3: Yes, yeah, sir. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly. And I, I could go on and on, but I remember in the church I grew up in, uh, Pastor Bruce Baker, oh my goodness, <laughs> this man just exemplified the love of God. And uh, he really built into my life from my childhood up until uh, I, I moved out of my uh, family's house.
2: I had Sunday school teachers when I was, my mother told me, I had a teacher named Mrs. Cross when I was three years old. And my mother told me she could watch me grow spiritually because I had this godly, wonderful, loving Sunday school teacher named Mrs. Cross. And I had several that went to that same church. And year after year, I just saw these wonderful Christian, godly women. And they, they really had an effect on me.
1: I remember one man who built into my life significantly was a chemistry teacher in high school, which is significant because I didn't enjoy chemistry, but uh, he was a godly man and sponsor of our InterVarsity Christian group. And he came to me before my senior year of high school and asked if I would consider being president of the group the following year. That totally blew me away. I had no concept in any way that I would be suitable for any such role. But he trusted me and he was willing to mentor and uh, it turned out to be a hugely successful experience and really paved the way for my later ministry. But it came because he took an interest in me. Rudy Isaac cared about me and built into my life. and, And that was a pivotal moment. But there's also been some yeah, pastors who didn't quite the uh, Christian leaders didn't quite make the list, right? <laughs> that's that's being generous. <laughs> and Nathan, I know you've had some experience with
3: other pastors up in your neck of the woods in the past few years. Yeah, I I I don't want to go into the too salacious of the ones, but we've we've just had a string uh, multi-generational up here of of wolves in sheep's clothing and you know, we've had pastors who have embezzled Hundreds of thousands of dollars from their congregations. We've had uh, pastors who have sexually abused uh, members of their congregation and members of the community, and uh, I, th- those are salacious. You know, those are those are uh, sure. really damaging. But but it's the spiritual abuse is more insidious than that too. Sometimes it's something as simple as I I, I was serving on a board with a denominational leader some time ago, and and he was just not honest. He he hmm. did not have integrity. And what he would do is he would meet with a team or a group of people and uh, and talk uh, through a situation with them. And we go, OK, this he explain the situation. We would tell him, OK, this is what we think we should do. Then he'd go and talk to another group of people and uh, would tell them an entirely different story. And then when there was problems, he would blame the problem on team A and then he'd go to team B and say, yeah, team A, you know, they're being hard. And then you go over to team A and say, yeah, team B, they're really hard. He would just so manipulative and deceptive until finally, you know, we were able to kind of catch what was going on. But he fortunately is not in the ministry anymore. Uh, but that was incredibly abusive because uh, he turned people against each other who had no reason to be against each other because mm. of his deception.
1: But you're right, there are times when it doesn't have to be direct to be hurtful. Yes. I know of a pastor who didn't lie, didn't steal, none of these heinous things. He just didn't care. Mm. And so he was willing to be the pastor and to collect the salary and do as absolutely as little as possible. In fact, moved a few hours away from the church in future retirement home uh, and would drive in and do some stuff. But it was not the kind of love and compassion and shepherding that uh, we see in the Bible. And and that's not healthy for the people. Wow. But there are spiritual abusers today, as well as great pastors. But there were spiritual abusers in Jesus' day. And it is fascinating to see how Jesus dealt with them. Before I get into today's content directly, it may be helpful to remind ourselves of the context of the passage back in last week in mark chapter 11 we saw that jesus clearly revealed himself as the messiah he fulfilled messianic prophecy by entering jerusalem on a colt he accepted the praise of the people who cried out hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and then he in my mind's eye swaggered into the temple as if he owned the place because he did he declared it was his house and then In the parable of the tenants in chapter 12 jesus was clear that he is the son of god and that those who reject him will face the untamed fury of god's wrath (laughs) he couldn't be more clear so given the extreme importance of the long-awaited messiah to judaism nathan vicky how would you expect the religious leaders of the day to respond to the arrival of their long-awaited messiah
2: well you would think it would be very different than the way it was you would think they'd given their whole lives to waiting for the messiah that they would know the word they'd see all the signs and that they would be elated of course i mean they're right there right there right, right there at the pivotal time in history
3: yeah they should be like teen girls receiving the Beatles on the tarmac <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right
2: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> you may be dating yourself there, Nathan, but I won't mention that. Um, <laughs> think K-pop maybe, but but no, you're right. This was the biggest news in Jewish history. And, and how did they respond? Vicki, what do we read in Mark chapter 12, verse
2: 12? It says, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them.
1: Hmm. Wow they knew who he was and they decided to use their positions to keep people away from their savior
2: oh wow that's interesting they they did know who he was i I thought they the whole time they thought he was blasphemous
1: but there he was fulfilling all the messianic prophecies there he was
2: I, I still thought they they were just blinded but but you're right they knew who he was
1: yeah. Uh, Nathan, how would the average Jewish person have viewed these teachers of the law and elders? I mean, what kind of public respect and credibility would they have enjoyed?
3: They were the heroes of the faith. They would bend over backwards for them.
1: So they had enormous influence and they used their influence to try and separate Jesus, the Messiah, from them, from the people themselves that, were, that needed a Messiah? My question is, why? Why would they do that? Why do spiritual abusers try to sabotage their followers' faith? Well, I think they do so because they have the entirely wrong motivation. (laughs) They're not selfless, they're selfish. What do they say in verse 38 and following?
2: Well, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and be in the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely.
1: Ooh, so Jesus puts his finger on it and what does he see as the motivation of these religious leaders
2: it's just what she said they're not selfless they're selfish they they're, they want to be adored and praised
3: yeah. yeah power They they want the power to influence and impress others they want the glory for themselves
2: the glory for themselves
3: yeah
1: they're doing ministry for their own benefit for show, to enhance their own spiritual reputation. People did it then. People do it today. Some today do it for financial profit. Others because they like to be on stage. They want reputation. They want the glory. Their focus is on themselves, not the God they pretend to be serving.
2: You ever seen such a thing today? You know what it reminds me of it's in a whole different arena? It reminds me, I don't mean to be political, It reminds me of the Senate hmm. where, where people in the Senate can pass laws that don't affect them at all.
1: Hmm.
3: I was listening to a podcast recently of a former Christian rock star, and he was sharing how after he, his band ended and he stopped touring, he realized that he was addicted to the crowd. Like it was, it was just this narcotic that he would get up there and they're singing along and they did praise songs and worship songs and every so often I still spin that CD with my kids or
2: well <laughs> stream it on, stream it on a uh,
3: <laughs> on my phone and it's great music but he said I was addicted to it. I didn't realize how how much it was and he said it was like two or three years he was depressed afterwards because he was withdrawing from that praise that he would receive going in front of the crowd.
2: It is addicting.
1: And to a certain degree, that affects us all. I know, I think in regret about the number of times I Remember, before getting up to preach, saying something to God like, Oh, God, please don't let me make an idiot out of myself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I just understand. Wait a minute, that's a bad <laughs> prayer? <laughs>
1: no, but when it becomes about me and not about thee, yeah. um, I know we all wrestle to various degrees, but, but clearly Jesus saw this as being a massive problem for these spiritual abusers. I mean, they were willing to sacrifice others' spiritual health for their own benefit. And I think that's why Jesus commended the one teacher that came to him in verses 28 to 34, where we read that Jesus asked one of these teachers of the law what the most important commands of the Bible were.
3: He was impressed when the teacher replied in verse 33, to love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices.
2: That is impressive that he knew that, yeah.
3: Mm. And to this man, what did Jesus say?
2: You're not far from the kingdom of God.
1: Because his heart was in the right place. His motivation was pure. Not like the others, this man stood apart. The only legitimate ministry is ministry that is done for him, not for us. Our leaders are to be servants, not serpents. Mm. We want to help, not hurt. Why? I think because every student becomes like their teacher. We reproduce after our own kind. And the goal of every true servant of Christ is to produce the kind of people Mark describes in verses 41 and following. Vicki, would you share about this one woman that caught Jesus' eye?
2: Sure. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on.
1: What Jesus is looking for is people who selflessly give themselves, like this woman did, for the advancement of God's kingdom. The question he wants us to ask is, what's in this for him not what's in this for me selfish self-advancement motivation for ministry is what we see in Ananias and Sapphira back in Acts 5 you remember that what did they do
3: they lied about (laughs) their generosity and and they lied about their generosity because they wanted to Seem more spiritual than they actually were. Perhaps they were trying to, to get a position of leadership within the church uh, community. They said that they had sold all this land and give all this money to the Lord, but but they didn't actually do that. They they kept a lot of money for themselves, and so God killed them, uh, slayed them both. I think he did that because you can't have that and be a healthy church. And this is a new church sure like I, j- just think about that imagine if these became some of the primary leaders of this fledgling church i mean it would rot the whole system from the inside out because of their deception and their hypocrisy <laughs> and when it happens when this
1: hypocrisy spiritual hypocrisy takes place in leadership oh that's doubly devastating right yeah uh, doubly devastating so how do we spot spiritual abusers How do we know if we're being affected by one? Well, one of the things we need to look for, the first thing we need to look for, is what is my leader's motivation? Is it for their own advancement or God's glory? Okay, so let's bring this down to practicality for all of us and our listeners included. How do we do that? How can we know whether the person leading us is leading us for their benefit or for the Lord's benefit. How can we know that?
3: <laughs> Ask him directly. Hey, <laughs> do you have good motives? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's
1: probably not, uh, they're yeah. not giving it away on their resume. No, right they're now. not doing that.
3: I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the, one of the ways we can do that is become actively involved in a local church. I mean, the only way we get to know people is flesh on flesh, right? Mm -hmm. To actually do life with them. If all we see of a person is who they are on stage or what they do in video or something, we don't really know their character at all. It's only when we're in relationship with them, when we get to know them and how they react in different situations, when we see why they're making the decisions they're making, that's when we gain access to their heart. I don't know if we can really know the motivation of our leader, if we only see them in a public situation. I think one of the most healthy places to grow in Christ is a local Christian church. In the time of a pandemic, when everyone's gone online, let's not forget the value of making sure that we're plugged into a local church, to make sure the person we're following Is living out the Lord's Prayer and they can honestly say thy kingdom come Lord thy will be done so why do spiritual abusers try to sabotage their followers faith no because they want to advance themselves at the expense of those who who are following them and how do they do that well they do that with their teaching it's interesting how the teaching of Jesus is specifically addressed and attacked by these teachers of the law who are rejecting him for selfish motives. Vicki, could you read us a little bit about that in verses 13 and following?
2: Sure. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. but..." You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Well, they're buttering him up, huh? Setup. Yeah, it is. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we?
1: Ooh. The rest was a setup, but that's the pitch.
2: Mm-hmm. They're coming
1: at Jesus hard. They're talking about and,
3: politics at Thanksgiving meal.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> to be honest, I'm fairly impressed by the Teachers of the Law. This has got to be perhaps the best way to derail Jesus' reputation among the people that you could ever think of, for all kinds of reasons. First, there's the cultural context in which this whole situation has taken place. I everyone in was witnessing this question. Knew of Judas of Galilee, not Judas of the Bible, this was a different Judas. He was a, said he was kind of a Messiah, and he led a revolt against Rome. And in his revolution that he tried to get going, he preached that God alone was the ruler of Israel and urged that because of that, no Jew should pay taxes to Rome. And he encouraged Jews not to register with Rome for taxes as they were asked. And those that did, he was so zealous for this that he literally burned houses down and and had stole the cattle from people who would dare register. This was a highly political issue. So just think of it. As Jesus is being asked this question, there were some in the crowd who would have refused to register and suffered enormous loss. And others who did it anyway. And and we think in America we've got a huge political divide. This is the political divide. Of ancient Israel, and then there's the not just the cultural context, but the physical context. I mean, Jesus is going to ask for a coin, <laughs> and what a coin! On the first side of it, it had a image, and underneath it, it said Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So, idolatry. Yeah, yeah. This is the son of God. Ooh, and who was Jesus? Who did he just reveal himself as? Son of God. The Son of God. So here the coin is the Son of God on the back. His mother as the high priestess, with a flaming torch in her hands, seated on a throne, facing right. This is the high priest, this godless woman, the Jews, no, the high priest is described in the Bible by Moses. This is, this is blasphemy at its highest. And then... There's a personal context. Think about this. Judas of Galilee, the guy I talked about earlier, began his campaign against Roman tax payment when Quirinius, in the province of Judea, ordered everyone to register for tax purposes. Hmm. Does this detail seem significant to you? Seems familiar.
2: Hmm. It does. That's from the Christmas story
1: ah it was in the christmas story were your parents wrong to register for the census at your birth is your whole birth mired in this sinful act what were they what were the religious authorities trying to get jesus to do why did they set up jesus this way this highly political issue should we pay taxes or not what are they trying to do
3: well, if he takes their side in the debate, then he's an enemy of Rome and they can report him to the Romans. Mm-hmm. If he takes Rome's side, he's an enemy of the people. Obviously can't be the Messiah because he hates God's own people.
1: And think of the pressure that Jesus is under. All these people are listening. The pressure is for him to change his teaching in order to curry the favor of those who are listening, Right. Why were the religious authorities so convinced that their trap would succeed? Any guesses?
3: That's what they did all the time.
1: They tailored their message to suit the people. They assumed Jesus would do the same. Did it work? Ah, I think we know the answer, but <laughs> but uh, Vicky read it for us. Okay. In verse 14 it, and following.
2: It says, "Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not?" Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. See, that's the thing about fighting with Jesus. He, <laughs> I mean, he just knows everything. He literally knows everything, but he, you know, pretty tough opponent here. But it says, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarii and let me look at it. So they brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him.
1: Why were they so amazed, Nathan?
3: That's a brilliant answer. (laughs) (laughs) They're fighting over this idolatrous money. It's ours. And he looks at it. Are you kidding me? (laughs) If they want it back, give it to them. Uh, But you don't give them the worship of God. He calls out the hypocrisy and holds on to to his valuable teaching all in one shot yeah utterly brilliant
1: and what did he not do he didn't bend his teaching to suit the preference of his
3: listeners right right he wasn't trying to be popular he was speaking
2: the truth he was accurate
3: yes he was
1: accurate he was faithful and false teachers spiritual abusers don't say what the Bible says they use the Bible to get what they want. You see that, again, in the uh, next episode, when the Sadducees came. Nathan, you can read that for us if you don't mind.
3: Sure. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. First of all, this poor woman. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her?
2: Is this not something children would think of?
3: (laughs) (laughs) it sure sounds like it
1: doesn't it but they come up with this hypothetical right right and what is their strategy what are they trying to say to jesus Uh, because jesus believes in the resurrection right
3: yeah i mean he's talked about it
1: yeah he explains it so what are they trying to do
3: well they're trying to do the same social pressure thing Right, they're trying. Uh-huh. This is utterly ridiculous, Jesus. So, are you saying is this woman going to be married to seven men? That's that's ridiculous. Uh, your whole idea of the resurrection isn't going to work. So, are you going to say, yeah, there is no resurrection, and make everyone angry at you, or are you going to say, uh, yeah, no, she's going to be married to these seven guys, <laughs> and and then uh, <laughs> and then everyone's going to think you're some sort of pagan? It's a, so, it's a trap again.
1: So they're trying to use their own logic to deny a doctrine of the bible right right so this is wrong because it doesn't make sense but that's not how we determine our, our understanding of god and how he works in the world a good teacher says look there are tensions in the bible but what the bible says is true and perhaps these things are beyond our understanding someone might say god cannot be transcendent above all and imminent close to us if he's transcendent he's not close if he's close he's not transcendent but the bible says god is both and those truths have to be held in tension or you're not true to the scriptures the bible says god is one but the bible also says god exists in trinity that the holy spirit is god and jesus is god and the father is god oh but that doesn't make logical sense god is not bound by our way of thinking. We don't mold the Bible to fit our thoughts. We mold our thoughts to agree with what scripture clearly says. That's why Jesus responds in verse 24. Vicky, man, he really lets them have it here.
2: He says, Jesus replied, are you not an error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Woo! And your little dog, too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Jesus is telling them that faithful teachers do not restrict God's word to the capacity of their logic because God is infinitely greater than anything we can think or even imagine. The first mark of a spiritual abuser is their selfish motivation. And, uh, we said that one of the best ways to know your, our leader's motivation is to be within community with them in a small church. The second mark of a spiritual abuser, they will deliberately distort God's word for their own benefit. So, how do we protect ourselves against that? I mean, how, how could people know whether what their pastor is saying to them, what their seminary professor, what this celebrity online is saying to them, is actually true or not?
2: They can read the word and see it. I'll tell you what, I know an awful lot of people who follow pastors that just say things that aren't true, and they don't seem to care because they're hearing what they want to hear. Mm
3: -hmm. Isn't that frustrating? And and you can just point out that clearly what they say goes against the Bible. You can show them chapter and verse Mm -hmm. over and over and over again, and they just look at you like, nope, don't care. They put (laughs) cotton cotton in their ears, la, 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 and they don't want to hear it. It's very frustrating and heartbreaking.
2: Because they're hearing what they want to hear, and he's a pastor.
3: Right. Yeah.
1: Christianity Today is doing a podcast on a famous church in America that imploded. And as I listen to that podcast, and I hear people who are part of the church, and they think about the things that that dynamic, charismatic leader said, they say, I can't believe I believed him. I can't mm-hmm. believe I accepted them, and they wished they hadn't. And there would be a solution for them if they had taken advantage of it at the time. And that's found in Acts 17, 11.
2: Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true.
1: That's one of my favorite verses.
2: Huh, I like that.
1: I love it. When preachers like Paul or anyone have the courage to encourage people to say, don't trust me, trust God's word. And you look and see if what I'm saying is what God said.
3: Yeah, go ahead, pick apart my sermon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Friends, don't believe what every preacher or podcaster tells you, including us. Check out and see what they're telling you against the authority of God's word. Look up these verses that we've been quoting. See if we're doing justice to the text. Because there are people out there who are spiritual abusers. They are spiritual con artists. Don't be gullible. Verify. Nathan, take us home. Dear Leader of a Local Church, what do you want to say to our listeners about the dangers of spiritual abusers?
3: I think it's important for us to make a distinction between hurt and abuse right? Sometimes in a church, you're going to get hurt because they say, no, you can't, you can't lead the choir because you can't <laughs> sing, right? And that, and that hurts. It really does, but that's, that's not abuse. it, it Or they say, hey, uh, we're we're going to do this form of evangelism rather than this one. We're going to uh, do radio ads rather than the TV ads. And that does hurt. that That's not abuse. Or, or even, you know, if a pastor or a church leader has to confront you over sin, and if they do it, you know, lovingly and, and not beating you up, that, that's that's not abuse. That hurts, mm-hmm. but it's not abuse. And so, for our listeners, I would say, yeah. It, first of all, I'll take a check and see. You know, is this hurt? Is this really abuse? Right? Because I think there is a tendency among some people to jump over and say, "Well, that's abuse," because I didn't like it. Well, okay, it might just be hurt. But as far as spiritual abuse is concerned, most people who are being spiritually abused don't realize. They're being spiritually abused. So mm-hmm. first of all, you have to be a student of the word. Uh, there, there isn't a church, a healthy church, a, a moderately healthy church, a somewhat healthy church around that doesn't want their people to be in the word. So understand what the word says. That way you can see if it's being used and manipulated in order to manipulate and use you. Amen. And then I would say, if you suspect that you are in a spiritually abusive situation, start to talk to people outside of that church or that parachurch organization. Reach out to someone who is not involved with that church, that organization, not connected to the leaders, and say, hey, here's what's going on, and uh, and can you tell me if this is healthy or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, more often than not, if you're in a spiritually abusive situation, they are going to fight tooth and nail to keep everyone within. You have to remember, spiritual abusers are like natural predators. They're like wolves. And what do wolves do when they're hunting? They try to separate the sheep from the flock. They try to separate everyone out, uh, the deer, so that they can run it down and kill it and consume it for their own use. And so uh, so if you find yourself in a church that doesn't want to work with anybody else other than their church, because they're the only ones that have the truth, that's in trouble. So after you've had counsel and you've had conversations, and I know this gets difficult, especially if it's a family situation and one spouse wants to stay in the church, the other one doesn't. You know, I, I would encourage you, find a better church, find a healthier Mm -hmm. church organization. If you have some influence there and you can talk to the pastor and you can talk to leadership and uh, and there is repentance and there is a movement towards change. okay, fine. But really, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the entire Pharisee movement was not changed. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't change the Pharisee movement. Mm -hmm. He established the church and it's hard it's difficult i've gone through it before spiritual abuse it is it you lose friends and family members over it but it really is a matter of being faithful to the lord jesus christ and it's also a matter of loving others as you love yourself, including the spiritual abusers, because by staying and empowering them and agreeing with them, you are enabling them to continue to harm others and also harm themselves. It does them no good for you to allow them to harm you or others spiritually and manipulate and lie and uh, take advantage. And so uh, if you find yourself spiritually abusive, reach out and find a healthier church situation for you to go in. Your Lord calls you to be faithful to Him and to love others. Amen. Good practical advice. Thanks,
1: Nathan. And let's remember, we don't have to be victims of spiritual abusers. We can double-check the biblical accuracy of their teaching and the genuineness of their motives. If that they don't check out,
0: we should check out. How can we be sure... Our religious leaders are leading us towards our Savior by double-checking the biblical accuracy of their teaching and the genuineness of their motives. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more, or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.CrosstalkGlobal.org. You can also help support this show by sharing it on social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the Gospel of Mark. Be sure to join us.